If you have your Bibles, hope that you do this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter number 2. Luke and chapter number 2. I don't know about you guys, but I'm trying uh, to get into the Christmas mood. I don't know if it's the weather that's throwing me off. I don't know, but I'm trying to get in the Christmas mood. So we're going to go full-on Christmas sermon this morning. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to get in the mood. I was driving home yesterday from West Virginia with my kids, and Kaylee had the wonderful privilege of riding along with us. And uh, we listened to a lot of Christmas carols. And Kaylee was rolling her eyes. If you ever ride in a car with me, music's on and we're going. Like, it's, it's happening. If, like, I'm, I'm, I'm jamming with the music on. And even my son, Cade, at one point, he woke up from a nap and he said, Daddy, you're being too loud. And then proceeds to say, I have a headache. So we had to kind of chill out after that point. But I'm trying to get in the Christmas spirit. And so we're going to go Luke chapter 2. I think probably most of you in here are very familiar with this passage of Scripture. You'll be hearing it a lot this month. Uh, most likely. But let's try to enjoy this, meditate on this, see what uh, the Lord can do through his word today. Luke chapter 2, let's begin reading verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was, the, he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And there shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want to draw your attention back to verse 10. This is kind of our central point for the message today. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So this morning we're going to talk about the good news that brings great joy. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we just want to thank you Lord, for this good news that we've just read, Lord, we can confess today that, Lord, you came. We can confess today that you died, and we can confess today that you have risen, you are alive. Lord, this is the beginning of the most wonderful story ever told. Lord, your birth, you came to dwell among us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this story. This is a story that we're going to hear a lot this month. We're going to read it on Christmas Day. We'll hear sermons all month long. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to always get excited 
when we're reminded of these good tidings of great joy that were announced to these shepherds and is the announcement that has been made to us. We just thank you for the gospel and how it's impacted our lives. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning, they do not know this gospel. They do not know the story of your birth and your perfect life and your sacrificial death and your resurrection and your ascension and how you are advocating for us even now. If they do not know the story of who you are, I pray that you would, Lord, help them to experience you today and that the gospel would solve their biggest problem, Lord, their sin problem and the consequences that come with it. We love you. We thank you once again for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. Uh, my personal favorite Christmas movie is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I know there's different opinions on Christmas movies, and I, I'll be honest, It's a Wonderful Life is not typically my style. Like, I'm, I'm not into the black and white. I mean, things have advanced in culture, and I'm kind of advancing with them, but A, a Wonderful Life just gets me every time. I love that movie. I watch it every year, and it never gets old. There's a couple Amen. Christmas movies that I watch every year that don't get old, and at the top of that list is It's a Wonderful Life. If you've ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, it follows the life of a man named George Bailey. You meet George Bailey as a kid, and as a kid, George Bailey has huge hopes and dreams. He's going to travel the world. He's going to build bridges. He's going to do all these great things. He has all of these grand plans as a child. As George Bailey gets older, he begins to have to make sacrifices in his life. His worst nightmare came true. His dad passed away, and... His dad wanted George to take the family business over. If you've seen the, the movie, and I mean, if you've not seen the movie, like what in the world is wrong with you this morning? Anyways, if you've seen the movie, you know that George Bailey steps up and makes a sacrifice to take over the family business. In taking over the family business, this means that he will no longer travel the world. This means that he will no longer accomplish all of his childhood hopes and dreams because he made a sacrifice to keep the business running. If you watch the movie, you know near the latter end of the movie, some money is lost within this business and George Bailey's life seems to be crumbling and crashing down. And he even makes this statement in the movie, I wish I had never been born. As he makes that statement, we're introduced to the angel character Clarence who shows up in George Bailey's life and begins to show George Bailey what his life would actually be like and what his community would be like if he had never been born. If you know the movie, you know that by the end of Clarence's journey with George Bailey, he discovers that the sacrificial, the things that he sacrificed for, for his community and for his family, you find at the end of the movie, he actually had a huge impact on the little town of Bedford Falls. So there's a small theme here within the movie of it's a wonderful life. George Bailey's life is characterized by sacrifice for the greater good. He gives up his hopes and dreams of traveling the world to help his little town of Bedford Falls thrive. Now that's a small story, but what we have here in this story in Luke chapter 2, we see the impact of how one's sacrificial life can make a huge impact. And I'm a huge fan of the George Bailey character and It's a Wonderful Life movie, but this story this gospel story, this Christmas story makes a much bigger impact, not just in a small community, but in the whole world, Amen. this story of Jesus Christ. His sacrificial life would make a huge impact. And I love the way that the angels tell us, what is this sacrificial life? What is it? It's good news yeah. of great joy. Yeah. 
It's good tidings of great joy. Today I want to look at our text and give you four reasons why we can have great joy through this story. What is the Christmas season? How does this remind us that we can have great joy? Number one, I want us to see the working of God's providence. The working of God's providence. So you notice verse number one, we're introduced to this character, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is the then known ruler of this world. He's the Roman emperor. If you know your history and you know this, this was Octavian. Many Roman citizens worshipped Octavian. They actually called him Lord of Lords. Octavian was worshipped and revered. And you notice how Luke addresses him in Luke chapter number two. He just mentions the name and then he says, all right, now let's get to the good stuff. Let me tell you about your new king. Right? Let me tell you about the new kid in town. Luke almost shrugs Octavian off to the side so that he can get to this grander story and this better king that is to come and is to rule in a much different way. Now, this is amazing. I want us to, when we talk about God's providence, number one, I want us to see that there's political providence in this text. There's political providence in this text. Can, can God use something as divisive as politics to accomplish his plan? Luke chapter number two is evidence that God can use politics as an end to accomplish his means. This is what Jesus Christ is doing. Caesar Augustus unknowingly is part of God's grand plan in redemptive history. Now let's be honest this morning. When we think politics, when someone gets elected that we do not think deserves to be elected, there's always uproar. There's always questions in our mind like is America really this bad and whatever. Right? I mean, just politics are just so divisive, it's irritating. And so we throw fits and we pitch fits because our person didn't win and the other person did or vice versa. And we begin to think, man, now this person is in control of our nation. We get upset about it. This story is a beautiful reminder that God is always in control. It doesn't matter who's in Washington or who's on a throne in another country. Listen, God has a plan. And this opposing, this ruler of the then known world, Octavian, who vehemently opposes Christianity, will not get in the way of stopping God's plan, but in fact play a vital role in accomplishing God's plan. There's an interesting detail to this story. The Old Testament prophesies over and over that Jesus Christ would be born in the city of David. That is specifically the city of Bethlehem. There's a huge problem here. Joseph and Mary are not from Bethlehem. They do not reside in Bethlehem. If you do not know how this story ends, if you're an Old Testament reader and you've not been introduced to the New Testament narrative, you would maybe think, how is this going to work? How is the one from Nazareth going to be born in Bethlehem? Church, this is crazy politics. A ruler who vehemently opposes Christianity and what Christianity stands for would be used to accomplish God's grand plan. What happens? He calls for a census. Mary and Joseph, the closest city by by happening that they have to take this census is in Bethlehem. And there God would accomplish his plan. So we see the political providence here in this prophetic providence. I want us to think about this. There's never been a story in all of history. There's never been a plan in all of history that is this detailed and this intricate. We have hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament prophesying that Jesus would be born 
in the city of David, and he was. And we've not even gotten to the death prophecies yet. We've not even talked about Isaiah 53, where Isaiah is writing before ever meeting Jesus as if he's at the foot of the cross writing his narrative. Church, be reminded of God's providence this morning. He's in control. He has a plan. There's nothing that will stop his plan. He has a grand plan for humanity, but I want you to be reminded of this, that he has a personal plan for you. Think about this. If, if God can work this thing out, I mean, you, you've got prophecies, and then you've got, you've got Jesus who has to be born out of David's line, which let's just be honest, David's line is a mess. Like, they're messing up a lot. God had a lot of patience to accomplish this prophecy, to actually bring the Messiah through David's messy family tree, but he accomplishes it. If God can accomplish this grand plan, why can he not handle what you're going through right now? The Christmas story should be a reminder to you that God is sovereign over all and he is in control. There is nothing that will stop his plan for the world or for you personally. A couple years ago, I had a big trial hit my life and I was really struggling and uh, Larry Sexton actually asked me to come over to his house. He just wanted to talk to me, encouraging me. He's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, by the way. He texted me, said he wasn't going to be here. I said, yo, like, let's trade. I'll gladly go to Tuscaloosa, watch the Iron Bowl preach the next day. But I'm here, and I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here this morning. Okay. But anyways, uh, he's not here this morning. But he did text me, told me he was praying for him. And I, I love Brother Larry. He's, he's been a huge influence in my life. And so we're over in his office one day, and I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm complaining. I'm upset. I'm telling him, like, I don't, I don't know what the plan is for me. I don't know what my life's going to look like. There's just nothing good happening. I had so many concerns and fears. I just didn't know. I didn't know what my future was going to look like. And I remember, I think about this often. Brother Larry literally grabbed me, like, hard, like, gripped me on the arm. He said, Clay. He basically told me to shut up in a polite way. He grabbed my arm and said, Clay. He said, you're not on a shelf. He said, God's not done with you. I, I think about that a lot. And as I was thinking of this sermon, I, I thought of that time where he violently grabbed my arm to remind me that God is not done. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you're thinking, what in the world's God doing? Why am I going through this? Why is there no light at the end of the tunnel? Why is my family member experiencing this? Why are my friends experiencing this? Maybe that's your thought process today. Be reminded God's in control. If he can work out this grand plan for redemptive history, he can work through your inconveniences. Number two, so we talk about the working of God's providence. Let's talk about the wonder of Christ's incarnation. Incarnation is just a fancy doctrinal word for robed in flesh. Jesus Christ came and lived as a man. That's what incarnation means. He lived as a human being. Six and seven here, verse six and seven. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son, Jesus, of course, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, perfect and spotless Lamb of God, perfect in deity with God the Father, second person of the Trinity, all power glory, honor, and truth in his hands is brought to earth and laid in an animal's feeding trough. This humble birth would also reflect his humble ministry. 
Jesus Christ would go out of his way to speak to the Samaritan lady at the well. He would go out of his way to show grace to that lady who was caught red-handed in adultery that the Pharisees wanted stoned. He would feed the group of 5,000 or more with the little boy's lunch because they were hungry and needy. Jesus Christ did not announce his birth to the great political rulers of the day. He came in humility. And why? Why, church? We've heard this a thousand times. He came for you. This prince of heaven, this king of kings, this lord of lords, this second person of the Trinity was laid in a feeding trough for you. Why? Out of love to to accomplish this redemptive plan in history. Church, we can say this morning that he came. He came. We do not worship a savior that is unfamiliar with our struggles We do not worship a savior who is unfamiliar with what it means to be a human being. The Bible says he literally robed himself in flesh. So he's experienced everything that we've experienced. We do not worship a God who demands our reverence. No, we worship a savior who has earned our reverence. He's not some distant figure. No church. He came and he is with us. This is the promise of Emmanuel. Literally God with us. He is with you. He's not just for you. He's literally with you. John 1.14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Church, Jesus came for you. He came in your likeness. He came in your affliction. He came and experienced all of the pain that we experience. He's not just some high and mighty savior figure. No, he's a humble and lowly servant of God. And who has he served? (laughs) He served us. He's offered us a way of atonement. Spurgeon puts it this way. The greatest and momentous fact for which the history of the world records is his birth. And he exclaims he came. Martin Luther puts it this way. No other God have I but thee. Born in a manger, died on a tree. Mm. Emmanuel Church, God is with us. He came. He came for you. He came for me. Let us marvel at his incarnation. Number three. Why can we have joy this Christmas season? The words of the angel. The words of the angel. So they come and they announce their tidings of great joy. Their good news of great joy to these shepherd figures. We'll talk about the shepherd figures a little later. But notice what they say. In verse 10 and 11, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, One, a Savior. Two, which is Christ. Three, the Lord. Notice this message that the angels give. We bring you good tidings. The most basic, fundamental definition of the word gospel is good news. This good news literally is gospel news. The angels are proclaiming to these shepherds, the gospel is here. It's no longer prophesied about. It's no longer doubted. There's no longer 
people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah foreshadowing it for you. No, it is here. It has arrived. It lays in an animal's feeding trough. It is in Bethlehem, right? This gospel message is more than just a message. It's a person. Amen. And the angels proclaim the wonder of these shepherds. This person that you've been waiting on is here. Some of you may not know who Jesus Christ is this morning. Maybe you've come to church because a family member wanted you to come. You're in town for Thanksgiving. Why not just pop in church, see what's going on? Maybe you have doubts about Christianity. This is Christianity. We don't just fall in line with a religion. No, we we come to this person. This person that was announced to the angels is why we do Christianity. It's why we do church. It's why we try to obey the Bible Why? Because we come to get this Savior. We want a personal experience with this Savior. And may I say to you today, if you do not know Him, He is the one you need. This is the good news that you need in your life. This is the best news that you need in your life. And think about this. To be a Christian, all you need is need. All you need is to realize that you're in need of a Savior. And that's exactly what is promised here. Notice how the angels lay their message out. They give Jesus three different titles here, and each of them are important in verse number 11. First, Christ. This promise of Christ is here. This just simply means he is the promised one you've been waiting on. This is the Emmanuel Isaiah speaks of. This is the Messiah that Isaiah speaks of. This is the suffering, scorned, successful servant that Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah 53. This is him. This is, this is Christ. This is who you've been waiting on. This is who you need not what you need not the plan you need to comprehend not the religious jargon you need to know no this is who you need this is the promised one this is the messiah christ church this is who you need whether you know him personally and you've accepted him as your savior or not this is who you will always need it's this chosen messiah it's christ the second word we see here is the word lord this just simply means he is divine this is not just another kid This is not just another baby. No, this is a baby of divine birth. This is a baby that was born of a virgin. This is a baby that literally is the Son of God clothed in human flesh. This is not just another baby. No, this baby's divine. This is God himself robed in the likeness of man. And then number three, what do they say? He's Christ, he's Lord, and he's Savior. He's the one you need, church. Tony Morita puts it well when he said, God did not send an economist because our greatest problem today is not the economy. God did not send a philosopher because our greatest problem is not incoherence. God did not send an entertainer because our greatest problem is not boredom. God did not send an administrator because our greatest problem is not organization. God sent a savior because our greatest problem is sin and its consequences. Church, God sent a savior for you. Robed in your flesh, in your likeness, to save you. He's the one you need this morning. Let the Christmas story be a reminder that this humble child, wrapped in humility, laid in a manger, this is who you need. We do not ask you to come here and follow a list of rules and regulations. We do not ask you to come here and wear certain clothes. We do not ask you to come here and We don't give you a rule book. We don't give you a playbook. Right? We just ask you to come here and fall in love with Jesus. Get to know him. 
I believe this, that people that love Jesus do Christianity well. People that have to be forced to do Christianity will perform well, but they will not do Christianity well. This is who you need. You need this Christ. You need this Lord. You need this Savior. Amen. And then number four, notice the witness of the shepherds. So I want, I want to kind of lay out some things about the shepherds. You know, a lot of times we hear these Christmas carols and we see the Christmas plays, which are awesome. I love Christmas songs and I love Christmas plays. I think probably most of us in here do. I don't think most of us in here are Grinches, but then again, you never know, right? So a lot of these songs and kind of this Christmas spirit, I think we have this misconception about the shepherds that they're like in full worship mode before the angels show up. Like they're talking about Old Testament prophecy before the angels show up. Like these are prime candidates for this message to be delivered to. The fact of the matter is these were probably the most unexpected candidates in all of the world for this message to be announced to. New Testament scholars tell us that most shepherds were not shepherds by occupation because they just liked sheep and they were outdoorsmen, right? They were not like my son Cade, who's obsessed with sheep. That was, that was not the case with these shepherds. No, they're shepherds because society wants them outside of society. New Testament scholars that most of them were most likely criminals. They were cast out of society. They were watching the sheep because other civilians did not want them living amongst them. And who does God announce his grand plan to? Right? Not the big time journalist. Not the big time news anchor. Not the Roman Empire. No, he goes to these lowly shepherds. Like if I could really paint this picture for you. Like for those of you gentlemen who work in a warehouse setting. Or a factory setting. Or a blue collar setting. And you're on your lunch break with a group of people. Talking a certain way. You guys, if you work on a site like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the scene you get with shepherds. They're not singing Christmas carols. These are, these are escaped criminals outside of society. They are not expecting an unexpected, an unexpected breakthrough like Jesus Christ. And who is delivered this message? These lowly shepherds. See, here's the beauty of the gospel. That there's no one too insignificant for it as well as there's no one too significant Amen. for it. Amen. This is the beauty of the gospel. That Christ loves people of all backgrounds, all nationalities. We can go on and on and on. There's no one too significant or insignificant for this gospel message. And the beauty of the Christmas story is that, yes, he's going to announce this new to the shepherds. But then later on, he's going to also announce it to kings. Right? The three kings. We, we sing a song about that too. So literally the lowest of low on the total scale of humanity and the highest of the high on the total scale of humanity. Jesus Christ is going to make an announcement to both. What's the overall picture here that this news is for everybody? Amen. Maybe you're in here today thinking I've messed up too bad. This can't really help me. You don't know my past. You don't know the failures and mistakes that I've made. No, but this is who Jesus desires to speak Amen. to. Amen. There's no one too insignificant for this message. And notice how the shepherds respond to this. Again, these are not people that are anticipating this. But when they're addressed with the wonder of Jesus, what do they say? And it came to pass in verse 15, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go. Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem. Verse 16, they find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. And verse 17 and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. Now, I want us to think about this in verse 18. What was the message 
that was delivered to the angels. They were given this message of this Christ, this Lord, and this Savior. Literally in just a few hours time, these shepherds go from most likely being outlawed from society, basically convicts, to now proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming this news that the angels told them, this is who you need. You need this Christ, you need this Lord, and you need this Savior. Let's just be real. A true, genuine encounter with Jesus will change your life. A true, authentic, genuine encounter with this Jesus will change your life. And the shepherds see this Jesus in his most lowly form, a small child. They see this small child and it's enough to literally make them gospel witnesses. Let's just be real with each other's guys. We're not we're not great witnesses like these shepherds are in our lives because we've probably not truly had this real authentic encounter with Jesus. We've not seen him in wonder the way the shepherds seen him. We've not seen him as this beautiful, humble child like the shepherds seen him. A true encounter with Jesus will change your life. So there's a German New Testament scholar back in the 1800s. Her name was Etta Linneman. So here was the thing about Dr. Linneman. She was a New Testament scholar. She knew the Greek language very well. She knew the history of the New Testament very well, but she was actually a critic of Scripture. She used her historical knowledge to teach in secular universities the fallacy of the Christian religion. But then something happened to Dr. Linneman. She was converted through Christianity because she came in contact with Christians that had made this connection to Jesus. After her conversion to Christianity, she wrote this in her book, Historical Criticism of the Bible. At that, God, at that point, God led me to vibrant Christians who knew Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. I heard their testimonies as they reported what God had done in their lives. Finally, God spoke Finally, God himself spoke to my heart through the means of a Christian brother's words. By God's grace and love, I entrusted my life to Jesus. He immediately took my life into his saving grasp and began to transform it radically. My destructive addictions were replaced with a hunger and thirst for his word and for fellowship with other Christians. I was able to recognize sin clearly as sin rather than merely making excuses, as was my previous habit. About a month after entrusting my life to Jesus, God convinced me that his promises were reality. I became aware of what folly it is given what God is doing today to maintain that the miracles recorded in the New Testament never took place. Suddenly it was clear to me that my teaching was a case of the blind leading the blind. I repented for the way I had misled my students. By God's grace, I experienced Jesus as the one whose name is above all names. I was permitted to realize that Jesus is God's son, Born of a virgin, he is the Messiah and the Son of Man. Such titles were not merely conferred on him as the result of human deliberation. I recognized first mentally and then in a vital experiential way that scripture is inspired. I have clear knowledge that my former and perverse teaching was sin. At the same time, I am happy and thankful that this sin is forgiven me because Jesus bore it on the cross. I regard everything that I ever taught and wrote before I entrusted my life to Jesus as refuse. I wish to use this opportunity to mention that I have pitched my two books, along with my contributions to journals, anthologies, etc., into the trash. I ask you sincerely to do the same thing with any of them you may have on your own bookshelf. What happened 
to Dr. Linneman. An authentic, real experience with this Christ, this Jesus, this Messiah happened to Dr. Linneman. Some of you in here this morning, you're doing Christianity out of duty. You're performing. You're like me when I was a teenager. You can do it well. Maybe you have talents that you can use with your own human ability. You know what a good Christian is supposed to look like, so you do it because you want everybody to think you're a good Christian. But if you're honest, this is what you're missing. You've not really seen this Christ the way that the shepherds and Dr. Lineman have seen this Christ. You've not seen him in all, your, in all of his wonder and all of his beauty. You're so caught up in religion that you've missed the big point that Christ came. Religion didn't come. Right? Christianity, like Christ came. This, this is what came. May this Christmas story remind you that church, what we have is wonderful. This is what we follow. This is what we pursue. This child lay in a manger. He is the object of our affection. So this morning, remember that God is in control. Remember that Jesus Christ came. He's not a distant savior. He's been literally where we've been. He's walked where we've walked. Remember that God's message is for everyone. No matter what you're going through here today, this gospel hope applies to your life specifically. There's no one too insignificant nor significant for this gospel truth to impact your heart. And then remember that once you have truly seen the beauty of who Jesus really is, then you can begin to do Christianity well. Dearly followed again, we just want to thank you for the hope of Christmas. We want to thank you. Lord, this is truly the greatest story ever told. It's the most intricate and detailed plan that has ever been accomplished. And so, Lord, we leave here this morning proclaiming he came. And, Lord, in the spring, Good Friday will come and we'll be saying he died. And a few days later on Easter Sunday, we'll be proclaiming he lives. Lord, this is just the beginning of the greatest story ever told. And so I pray that as we meditate on this story that has been preached, this text that has been read, that, Lord, we would see you for who you are, that you would demand our affection. We would see the beauty of your humble life and your sacrificial death and your glorious ascension. Lord, we would praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you'd be with all of us this Christmas season. I know a lot of times we say it's the most wonderful time of the year, but realistically, I know for a lot of people it's not. For a lot of people, they're looking at that family member who's not here this Christmas, who always has been, or there's some other struggle that they're dealing with. Lord, remind them that you are in control and that the hope of Christmas rests in that manger, in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. For blessing. You know, when you think about um, this time of the year, there's so many things that People get their eyes on, think about, it is the most wonderful time of the year. But you know what? That, this is it. Christianity's Christ. You know what the world needs? They need to know that we love the one who saved us. We have a relationship. I know we have some folks in here that's just recently trusted Christ. That's what it is. When you get saved and you become a Christian, you've entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than that. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Although, there's things that please the Lord, there's things that displease the Lord. 
But when we enter into a relationship with somebody, we want to please them, don't we? And so I'm thankful. I appreciate the message. Christmas time is Christ. And so with head bowed and eyes closed this morning, would you stand with me this morning? Let's just think about our own life just a minute. One thing I've learned about the Christian life too and the Lord, it's a personal thing. Personal. Very personal. The message was given, but you know what's amazing? The Lord will speak to you in a personal way. Maybe different than he will speak to someone else personally. That's the amazing thing about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. He knows exactly what we need. What we're struggling with. Maybe there's someone here this morning. You say, Pastor Mark, I don't know for sure if I die, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's something you need to take care of. Not know for sure if you die, you're going to heaven. That's why Christ came. He came that we might be saved and know him as our personal savior. So I say to you this morning, if you're not sure of that, I'm going to ask you to come. We'll have someone take the Bible and show you from the Bible how to be saved. But let me ask all of you that are saved. You say, Pastor Mark, I know I'm saved. I've trusted the Lord as my Savior. I've met him. He's my father. I've entered into this relationship with him. How many of you are thankful? Thankful that he came to us. Unworthy. He came to us. Provided the way. We ought to be thankful this morning. And then I can't help but think, I don't know what you're going through today, but yes. Christmas story shows no matter what you're going, what's going on in your life, God is greater. God is greater. God help us. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, can I ask you to be honest this morning? How many of you know the Lord Jesus has spoke to you in some way? You're not ashamed of it. Would you raise your hand? You know he spoke to you in some way. That's great. Now here's the key. That's going to mean nothing unless you do something with it. You must do something with it. So that's what the invitation is about. We're going to give her, Miss Cindy's going to play here just a little bit. Maybe you'd like to come, find a place around this altar. Why don't you pray and just seal what the Lord has spoke to you about. Tell him yes. You obey. You obey. You say yes to him today. Whatever it might be. Can I ask this? Is there anyone here this morning who say, Pastor Mark, I don't know for sure if I die I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm concerned about it. Would you be honest? You lift up your hand and say, that's me. I don't know for sure. But now I'm going to heaven. Bless you. But let's let somebody help you. I know we've talked with Alex before, but I think if a child raises his hands, he needs to be dealt with. Mr. Clay, I'm Brother Edgy. Why don't you deal with Brother Alex there? Little Alex, you come on. Let Alex, let, let Brother Edgy deal with you. Just get that thing settled. I know he's been talked to before young man like that raised his hand we want to make sure he needs to know have assurance is there anyone else like that this morning you said pastor I don't know for sure you can know today is there anyone like that spoke to you today for the God of heaven to speak to us that's a very 
vital thing. The God of heaven loves us enough to speak to us. Now it requires attention. Whatever it might be, he spoke to you in a personal way. Let him have his way. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for the Christmas story. Lord, I am amazed that you came to us. Came to us. We're the guilty. We're the ones that turned our back on you. We're the one that sinned against you. Lord, we want to thank you for loving us. Lord, your love is amazing. We want to thank you for it this morning. And Lord, as we enter into this Christmas season, I pray you'll help us not to get caught up in all of these things. But Lord, Christmas is you, Christ. So Lord, I thank you for providing salvation. And Lord, we're thankful that you are the way. Not some plan, not some procedure, but Lord, you are the way. You provided yourself a lamb. And we want to thank you for that today. I pray you'll bring us back tonight. Lord, I pray you'll help us to be obedient to thee. We'll thank you for what you do in our hearts and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people say it. Listen, God bless you. Be back tonight. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, where the edge will be preaching. We'll be here looking forward to the evening. And just remember this, traffic's going to be crazy uh, tonight. I think it's uh, the interstate. You know how all that goes. If you can come around it, that'd be great. And uh, God bless you. Have a great, great, great evening. God bless.